With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe-Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lock-away channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pamper Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. What would happen if we all consumed fewer, better things? That question is the driving force behind Carla Gallardo's company, Cuyana. You have likely seen their beautiful leather goods, their silk dresses and cashmere sweaters. This is a story of how Carla's vision came to life, the carefully calculated step she took to prepare herself to run a global, direct-to-consumer e-commerce business, and the surprising challenge that she, a self-proclaimed perfectionist and hustler, did not anticipate. Carla, thanks for doing this. Hi, thank you. Carla, you say growing up in Ecuador was a life of fewer, better things. How did that show up in the way that you were raised? I would say primarily in the objects that we purchased and how long we made them last. Ecuador itself is not a country where there's just the spirit realities in terms of financial statuses and most of the population lives below the the poverty line and that still kind of instills a way of living at least when I grew up that even if you could afford to go to school and you could afford proper meals and a uniform you still were careful in how you spent and it's just from a supply standpoint there wasn't a lot of excess going on around us and so we were just very mindful and food never went to waste in our home, never. My dad and my mom, they went to the German school in Ecuador, and there was European influence on their education. And my dad, he just had a very European mindset when it came to you know, investing in nicer things, but fewer things. And 
that's how, you know, we went about purchasing things for our house and our day to day. And so as a teenager, that was sometimes not the ideal or the thing that I actually <laughs> cared about, right? Well, my friends were wearing flared pants and for me, my dad just would want to go with the classics that would last for many years. <laughs> it's funny because like all things, however you grow up is sort of how you just figure everybody else is growing up until all of a sudden you hit an impasse where you realize that that is not the case. For you, though, it, it really is coming to college in the United States where you're like, oh, you guys have a, comp- you have a culturally different understanding yes. of consumption. Completely different. Yes. Everything from, yeah, the dining hall, the like crazy amounts of food everywhere and every type of cereal possible. And going to the mall was the best thing ever. There's just so many stores and so many sales that made things feel like it was worth the purchase. And because we were raised in such a specific way, there was also a lot of trust in how we carried our own finances by we, me and my sister. And my dad gave her and I a credit card since we were I think like 15 or 16. And I mean, we never dared to buy anything without his permission or any, you know, it was just really for emergencies or whatever we needed to do in high school. And then I took that same credit card to college and my dad never changed the agreement. It was like a credit card for me. There was, there were no rules around that. We just behaved a certain way with that credit card. And I went crazy the first uh, couple of times I went to the mall and purchased quite a few things and went back to my dorm. And then the next day my dad called and he was like, what is going on with your credit card activity? What did you buy? And I was incredibly ashamed because there wasn't anything that I was actually super excited or proud to share in terms of the purchases that I made. So that was the first very shocking moment for me, which was just like, wow. So it was just very easy to switch my mindset, given how much stuff was around me and how normal it seemed. You were obsessive. You grew up sort of an obsessive with numbers. And it was seemed pretty clear pretty early that you were going to be a math kid. Was there anything your parents were doing to cultivate that in you, to encourage that? Oh, yes. Math was one of the most important subjects to be good at at home. My dad was very good at it. He always told us that numbers were the foundation to everything. And so my mom was a chemist. So it was very kind of more a scientific uh, approach to how our education was designed, numbers and biology and all of the sciences. We were really, really good at them. And so I think partly feeling that I was good at it made me want to pursue a stronger education in that, in those fields. And for me, just math, there was always a right answer. And I like that. Like, I like the certainty of it's either right or wrong. And yeah, there was also the, you know, all us kind of the children of parents from Latin America or many other countries and just the push for pursuing eventually a career in finance or, you know, become a doctor one day. 
When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads, what did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blow-up barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blow-ups. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size 8. And now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important. And it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the balls filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh, boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? (laughs) They do look cute, though. Bringing cheer, M&M's for all fun kind. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. I think about you being a woman, Latina, immigrant, at an Ivy League school, majoring in applied mathematics. And I don't think the question is, did you experience bias? The question is, when and how do you first remember experiencing bias? In most classes, me and my now very good friend, Charlotte, we were the only two women in the class. And the classes are pretty large, all males and the two of us. And I don't think we saw it as something intimidating if that's what your question is. And it was mostly the reason for that is just how my dad raised my sister and I. We never saw being female or a woman as something weakening or something that, you know, we had to kind of fight hard to stand out or be better. It was just kind of like your superpower is being female. It was like, oh yeah, we're the only two girls in the class, but so what? kind of cool. (laughs) It's kind of cool. And the same thing happened later when I worked at Goldman Sachs. We sat on the the trading floor. It was mostly male and very few women, but it didn't feel, I didn't feel like less. Now, fast forward to today, all the things I've learned, friends I've made and the experiences I've, I've heard and kind of what I've seen and how many times, like the amount of disadvantage that as a woman, many times you have to confront. Now I look back and I'm just so glad I didn't know any of that back then. 
I also think about you being at Goldman and realizing like you can trade bonds, but you have no idea how to start a business. And I think that is a pretty common early 20s experience where you realize like, yes, you have been building skills. You have learned about numbers and making a business case, but you don't, there's like connective tissue that is missing to launch you into the next thing it is that you Mm want to do. How did you make up for that gap? Oh, yeah. I think that's back then it goes back to my Latin American roots and growing in a more conservative country where you know, from one day to the other, your savings can be wiped because the banks go through chaos. And from one day to the other, you you can lose everything. The whole country can be in complete chaos. And so you always live very cautiously. And it was really tough because in terms of how do I make this even happen, I always wanted to build something or start something. And I had the idea of Kuyana back when I was sitting at the Goldman Sachs offices. The stories of new entrepreneurs were starting to happen. But for me, you know, from where I came from, where I was sitting was incredibly successful already. And how dare could I give that up to go and start something that may not become anything? And then what, right, all the effort that my parents put in me when I was in Ecuador, the incredible fortune I had to be one of the few people that has the education that I have coming from Ecuador and then ending up in an Ivy League school and working myself through college, like all of that like would have felt like wasted effort. And so the idea of just quitting and starting a company just wasn't even an option for me because of all those reasons, right? And For me, it was just taking steps that if like, you know, that new step didn't work out, I could kind of revert and go back to kind of the previous, right? So I wouldn't just give a lot up. And so for me, it meant, well, first going to get an MBA. And if during the MBA, then I decided, okay, actually, I don't think I should start this company. I could always go back to Goldman afterwards. And I would have just gained two years of education. I got my MBA at Stanford and it was time to graduate, but I still felt I wasn't ready. You know, I I had now a degree, I had a network, but I never worked anywhere else. But Goldman, you know, Fiona was meant to start as an online store. I'd never even been, I've never been close to that. So I decided to get a job first and then somewhat of an, you know, online store experience and gain a skill set there and understanding how do you even run an online store. And there was this awesome job at Apple that would allow me to learn and do that. And so I ended up going to Apple for a year. And it was only after that that I said, okay, now I'm ready. I can do this. And then I started Kuyana, but that took about from the moment where I felt it's time to the moment where I actually started Kuyana was four years because it took a year to apply to business school, then a couple of years in business school, and then one more year working. Let's talk about the vision for Guyana, a global design house that inspires intentional buying through pieces that are crafted with integrity. What steps did you take to get to the articulation of that vision? The hardest thing about that vision statement is that there's so much that we are doing at Kuyana that's simplifying it to just that was very hard. So that's why each word is very loaded. <laughs> why make it global? Oh, because staying local isn't enough. 
I mean, we want to make an impact in the world. And you know, the, the cool thing about Queen is that we make products around the world. And so the vision is to eventually bring those, make all those accessible to the whole world. So how cool is it that if you live in Italy, eventually you can get the best baby alpaca scarf made in Peru. We are impacting the lives of the workers in all of these countries, right? And all these factories, many of them have rebuilt through us because we're bringing back traditional craft. And so we've made impact at that level. But then also going back to making impact at the consumer level as the company continues to grow and how the customer buys really influencing the intentionality behind their purchases and making them live a better life. It's kind of a full circle. For Kuyana specifically, what does it mean that pieces are crafted with integrity? There are many ways in which integrity can be improved in the retail industry. One of the places where we realized that being able to buy a product intentionally, if the product isn't made with integrity, then it's really hard to make that choice as a customer, right? And so we add integrity to every single step of that journey, being able to be transparent with the information, making the right choices along the way, the safest choices for the planet, the safest choices for our customer, the best quality, and being very honest about what the product is made of and honest prices as well. I was about to say, and doing all of this and making money at the end of it. Because given the amount of mission that is baked into what you have built, you could easily run this as a nonprofit, right? Like it could, like given that there is so much, you're focused on the environment, that you're focused on the workers behind the products, that's one model. The other model is you do everything with integrity and still manage to turn a profit. Exactly. And that's the big white space that existed before Kuyana. And so figuring out how to do both is, is I think, you know, what we are really great at. What is the biggest obstacle you ran into in that endeavor? What I would say has been our hardest obstacle. And I have a co-founder, Shilpa, also didn't come from fashion or retail, is exactly that. Not coming from retail and having a network in retail has been actually a superpower and kind of like our secret tool for redesigning how products should be made and sold because we just didn't have that bias. So it's been amazing. But then when it comes to putting the product to market and having a lot of the right voices talk about it and build that awareness, that has been our biggest challenge because we simply did not have the network. Editors writing about Kuyana, the right celebrities wearing Kuyana, the right influencers all of that we've built from the ground up. I mean, we didn't know a single person in the industry. I came from banking, Shilpa, my co-founder. She is a UX designer. She comes from the tech side. And it's just, we knew zero people. And so in 10 years, we've gone from not knowing anyone to now actually having a very strong network and from, you know the right voices talking about Kuyana. But it wasn't easy. Now, I think all the other aspects of growing and building the business where in a way like a math problem whereas building the network wasn't what does sustainable fashion look like for someone who cannot afford your products well you know i always say you don't need to buy new 
to be able to buy sustainable products. We will be creating that as well for the Kuyana customer soon. And part of Kuyana's mission is to remove clutter from your closet, but also from the world. And removing clutter means for us not letting our product end up in landfill. So we do everything. Like that's our ultimate mission for sustainability. Prevent our product from ending up in landfill. So how do we do that? Well, we design products that will last for so many years, right? That don't go out of trend. The design is made for it to last. The quality allows the product to last. And we haven't talked about this. It is a big thing in, in my home, but mending product, taking your purse for a leather spa moment, even the like leather products to nourish the leather so it lasts longer. Like there are ways of prolonging the life of that product. And then at some point you're going to be done with your product and that is totally okay. Right. But there's somebody who may want to use that product and who can use that product because that product's made with such great quality that it can have a second, third, fourth life. And so the ability for us to create the space for those transfers to happen is kind of the next step for us. And that just allows our product to not end up in landfill and really achieve this mission. Carla, when you are your own boss, as you are, how do you create boundaries so that you're not just working all day? Ah, That's been the hardest. I couldn't. I mean, at the beginning of the company, it was impossible. I, I now balance, not because it's my choice anymore. I have two sons now. And if it weren't for them, I would have the problem of just working 24-7. But since my first son was born, it was a very hard transition for me to, because I actually, part of being a perfectionist is, wow, I need to be perfect at work and also be able to become a perfect mother. That was really hard to realize, well, now I have two roles in life and I won't be able to do both perfect, but it took me a while to get there. And so finding that balance or whatever we, we call it, right? Like, how do you divide yourself up to do both was the hardest this idea of few or better, I find very resonant in the way of product and consumption, but I actually think it's like a way one can lead their lives as well. And I wonder where else in your life you have applied the ethos of few or better. Oh my gosh, definitely. Few or better. I know we've talked a lot about just the material things. But it's definitely a way of living life. And I think COVID helped the world <laughs> you know, make a shift or reset a little bit in terms of fewer better relationships, for example, is one of the big themes, right? Really, how are you spending your time? Who are you spending your time with? Fewer better travel. Really, are those all those work trips necessary? All right, like there's just... Uh, Fewer better in so many ways. And, and I think the highlight is just how to live an intentional life where, you know, most of the things you're doing, you've thought through, right? You're using your time intentionally. Time is the ultimate luxury. That's what we know we believe at Kriyan. And so how you use that in a fewer better way is really what will kind of bring you your like deepest satisfaction. That said, it can become very stressful to just, oh, am I being, right? Like, it's a very high standard. And so I think it's just in the little things and, and having just moments that make you feel fulfilled or 
just being present with your kids for 20 minutes. Those 20 minutes that they will make the whole day, right? So much better than if you just tried so hard to take them out of the house for two hours in a chaotic like way, right? And like, it feels terrible. No, really, right? As opposed to just staying in the house for 20 minutes and playing an awesome game with them. Like those are kind of the memory building moments that can be just short, but yeah, it's just more intentional. It's not about quantity. <laughs> it goes back to it's not quantity. It's more quality and having your kind of moments during the day or during your week that just feel intentional and bring you fulfillment and being happy with that. Like not, you cannot live like that 24 hours a day. <laughs> Carla, I am such a fan. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate your time as well. And it was fun. Thank you as always for listening. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lantigua and me, Alicia Menendez. Polina Velasco is our producer. Manuela Bedoya is our marketing lead. Kojin Tashiro is our associate sound designer and mix this episode. We love hearing from you. It makes our day. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. Slide into our DMs on Instagram. Tweet us at Latina to Latina. Check out our merchandise that is on our website, latinatolatina.com slash shop. And remember, please subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, wherever you are listening right now. Every time you share this podcast, every time you share an episode, every time you leave a review, it helps us to grow as a community. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author, Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.